The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Dom. And Jack Barazzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. Uh, Before we get into our topics today, I want to tell you all about another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash secrets. So before we get into talking about, talking about our main topic, we have a little bit of feedback I want to share. Uh, we got an email from listener Ted who writes, after listening to episode 205, it is apparent that deep fakes are a, and a are and are going to be a big problem. We're seeing a lot of these fakes and they're getting better and better. Do you foresee any legislation or repercussions for posting these materials if it's deemed that they're malicious? Maybe there are laws in place, but how do they enforce them? Maybe the same team that enforces the do not call list can assist. Uh, I think that was um, sarcasm at the end there. Uh, <laughs> I was about we, to say. Yeah, we, yeah. we do have um, an, actually a headline we're going to talk about later about uh, a deep fake photography sort of thing going on, which is, you know, some people could, might deem deceptive. But in general, like as these things become more prevalent, I mean, do you think do we need special laws to cover them? What do you guys think? It's it's this, the problem that always comes with legislating technology is the technology is going to advance way quicker than any sort of laws we write about it can. Because I think we're about 90% of the way from deep fakes being completely indistinguishable from real life. And once you get there, like, I don't think you're going to be able to tell, like maybe algorithmically there's some way, but that's still going to be on the side of the technology and not the legislation. So I think as with all things, people just need to be educated and not just believe whatever they read on the internet. That's already an issue. And this is just going to make it worse. Yeah. Yeah. You should, you should never believe any video you see on the internet, because even if it's not a deep fake, it's been selectively edited. It's lacking context. So, I mean, if, if you ever see a video of anything, it's, it, you know, consider the source, treat it like a gram of salt. Um, you know, deep fakes won't, there won't be any legislation or laws about them until they embarrass the wrong people. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, there will be probably criminal charges brought against the the funny person who posted the meme, right, that embarrassed the wrong person. So, I mean, I think you'll see one, onesie, twosie, things like that, but there's never been really any technology that's been slowed down or stopped by laws, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that's this accessible and this out there. Right. I think fraud is still fraud and, you know, libel yep. and, all, and all that sort of stuff is still, it, it is what it, like, I don't think you need new laws to cover it. It's just, we're just coming up with new ways to commit the same old crimes. So, right. Uh, so in, in, in that, I mean, the, Lawmakers will grandstand about it. You know, we should ban TikTok and, ban, you know, like, which, you know, may or may not be a good idea. I th- you know, I'm, I, I, I'm not in favor of TikTok in general. Uh, but, you know, lawmakers are getting in on the on the grandstanding of all this in, regardless. So which is to say, I don't think we're going to get 
laws will get passed. I don't think they'll be effective. Like, like you guys say. So I, yeah. I don't think it's, you know, it's, this is going to be about people. And maybe we just get to a point where it's so good, where we really are forced to be skeptical more than yeah. we are. And that's just the way it is. I hope that's, I hope that's where it goes. I have a feeling it's going to go the opposite direction. And this is like it. AI is an amazing propaganda tool. And that's my big worry about it. Right. Right. Yeah. In in the meantime, though, we're in the golden age of AI where it's still hilarious. Um, there's <laughs> channels, entire channels on YouTube that are devoted just to recreating Joe Rogan podcasts where he talks to Jordan Peterson about their favorite Lego sets and they go <laughs> deep into Lego lore. And it's all, you know, deep faked voices and stuff. Um, and it's and it's 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 really funny. And one of my favorite YouTube channels is a Scottish comedian uh, named Charlie Hopkinson, where he does uh, he doesn't have to fake the voices. He does spot on impressions. So I guess impressions need to be worried about this, but of, you know, Ian McGregor, Liam Neeson, yes. Sir Ian McKellen, and just deep fakes their faces on him. And so it's like, they're all hanging out in, in their flat watching the latest, you know, episode of Mandalorian or whatever <laughs> Love that and, one. and riffing it as they watch it. And so th- I think it's, it's, we're still at the point where AI is a novelty. It's, it's fun. It's funny, you know, yep. enjoy, enjoy this moment. Um, because uh, you know it may never come again. Yeah, <laughs> right. There's a someone do uh, does a deep fake uh, Tom Cruise, and yep. uh, that was a good one. And then also a deep fake George Lucas uh, is another one that's yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah, it's another. So I don't know. I don't know what we could do about it. I mean, we just, the the technology will happen. I mean, you just can't yeah. you can't prevent the advancement of the technology. So we have to figure out how to deal with it as best we can. So with that happy thought, let us move on to something that will make us happy by instead of looking forward at technology, let's look back at some technology. We're going to talk about the 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 whole world of handheld retro gaming. And so the first and I've got the two guys here to talk about it who yeah. know who know more about it than I do because the first question is is what is handheld retro gaming and what's the deal? Like what why is this a big deal? Uh Jack, why don't I let you go first? Uh, so essentially what it is, is, I mean, it's it's exactly what it sounds like. It's playing retro games on handheld devices. And over the past two or three years, this scene has really exploded. Like, you've always been able to, I know people have always, like, collected old Game Boys or, like, with the PSP, do, done different things where they can root them and play different games on them. Um, but there are a lot of really affordable, pretty easy um, barrier of entry handhelds that you can get now. Um, there's companies like Ambernick makes a bunch of them that are really cool. Um, uh, Pow Kitty makes some really affordable ones. And the fun thing about it is, is that retro games, they don't take up a lot of processing power. So the devices don't need to be particularly powerful. And the emulators, which is basically the simulated software that runs on these devices, that runs different systems, is getting really good. It's a very good project for open source and I think I think a lot of the appeal of it is that, I mean, a lot of it is nostalgia. The people who play these games as kids now have the expendable income to buy these devices and play these games. But I also think there's an attraction to it for people who are younger, um, because a lot of the games that like were made for like the Nintendo or Super Nintendo or like the Commodore 64, for that matter, they couldn't rely on flashy graphics as much as good gameplay. And so they have a lot more replayability than a lot of newer games. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, I think a lot of the appeal is kind of uh, you're, you're mining the past to a certain extent. You know, there's still, you know, as 
I grew up in the golden age of arcades. My parents would take me to arcades when I was, you know, four and five. It's where I wanted to be. If I, you know, could have lived in a video arcade, I probably would have. And there's still, you know, games that I haven't heard of that you'll come across and you'll you'll try it. And back in this era, like games weren't made by teams of, you know, 20, 60, 200 people. They were made by teams of, you know, maybe three people like you you would have someone to do graphics programming and and maybe a sound person and sometimes the you know programming person was the graphics person and the sound person was the person designing the game so it's there's a lot more they're a lot more personal because uh with the smaller teams there's a lot more of a of that kind of personal stamp on them it hasn't been you know designed by a committee or put out mm-hmm. by a corporation and and plus they're just fun to pick up and play. You know, retro arcade games were meant to be played for 90 seconds and then you would either continue or go away and do something else. And so just, you know, when you have two minutes, you can pull something out, play it for 90 seconds and say, okay, I played a video game. But, you know, you get into Super Nintendo and PlayStation on handhelds and you do get RPGs, you know, role-playing games that can be, you know, 40 or 80 hours and you know, those could be fun now with modern conveniences like save states, which is the ability to save any game at any point and come back to it. You know, the, the emulator software just says, OK, here's everything that's in my memory. Boom. You can pick it up like you never left. Um, it does make it, uh, you, you know, a lot easier to play some of those games where, you know, you might not have been able to save every as often as you wanted. <laughs> Still trying to find the the typewriter ribbons in the first Resident Evil, which let you save the game. <laughs> Very limited supply. <laughs> so so what defines a retro game is it just age is like it, or is it technology like if it was 16 bit or 8 bit or i mean what what makes a retro game i think it's going to depend on who you ask so like i know for me my definition of retro game might be different from yours victor um because like when i grew up we had a super nintendo and that was kind of the last generation but you could still get it and then all the new games were like playstation 2 and gamecube that was like the new stuff that we were never able to get unfortunately um i've remedied that now as an adult (laughs) but i would say to me retro games is anything before like the year 2000 i feel like that's kind of the cutoff although we're getting remakes of games that were made for the playstation 2 or like even old pc games like they just remade dead space and i saw someone refer to the original one which came out in 2008 as a retro game no and i really wouldn't consider that retro yeah yeah <laughs> it must be classic rock you know <laughs> a very young yeah. person probably said that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think of like for me like apple 2 games would be retro games if i were to encounter those today or even like early like i would think of the original marathon as a as a retro game that's sort of the predecessor to halo you know um mm. I, I think of those games and I, that really takes me back so yeah yeah and and for me it's not just about age because um you know if it were going by age i might say up through you know the gamecube just because that was you know the the system where i really you know came into adulthood or something right it, it's you can you can draw the line wherever you want but there are still people out there actually making games that run on sega genesis hardware or nintendo entertainment system hardware and i would consider those retro games they're they're, they're new games that are made to run on um you know hmm. old old hardware and we'll talk mm-hmm. about uh you know one of my favorite legal ways to to play retro games and and how that's kind of um you know carrying the torch forward there um but but yeah, I would I would say it's it's a function of, you know, age, which systems, but also, I mean, 
you know, you look at a game like, uh, you know, Sh- uh, Shovel Knight, which has a very NES aesthetic. It's a modern game. There's lots of modern conveniences, but, um, you know, to some people, they would consider that a, a retro game. So why handheld specifically? I assume that like you could play retro games on PCs and laptops, but what's the appeal with handheld? Um, well, at least for me, it's the nostalgia of playing like Game Boy games in a Game Boy form factor. Um, you can play those on any emulator on your computer and it's pretty easy to set up, but then you have to get a controller and you're using a big screen and there's a lot of like tricks you can do with shaders and resolutions and stuff to make it look better. But I just feel like they fit better on the format they were made for. And another thing is portability. Like um, I got the steam deck and that's really the first time I've played games since I've had kids, because when you have kids, you can't really sit down at your computer and play games. But uh, when I rock the newborn at night, um, I can just pull out my steam deck and play while she falls asleep. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's, up until this point, handhelds haven't been like powerful enough to to play. You know, we see this with the Switch and the Steam Deck, and even the uh, you know the less expensive retro machines that are running like you know mobile processors that are you know quad core or whatever Snapdragon or Allwin or mm-hmm. whatever they are. But they're powerful enough now that they can play you know up through PlayStation One or Dreamcast games. And so I think part of it is just the ability to pay, play a Dreamcast game in the palm of your hand. You know, this would have been like mind blowing. You know, as as a as a kid, I mean, when the Game Boy came out and then the Atari Lynx and the Atari Lynx is the one I had. It was, you know, full color, you know, sprite scaling, played arcade games, you know, sampled sound and everything. And it was just mind blowing that you could hold something like this in the palm of your hand when you used to need like a TV and all these cables and 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 everything. So part of it is just it's just really cool for, you know, someone who grew up, with, you know, tethered to the TV or in the arcade to just say, ha, now I can have like. 100 games on the go but also it just it suits it very well to the you know older games especially arcade games you play them for shorter periods of time and like Mm. i said again with save states you know you can pull it out play for a few minutes and then put it down and you don't feel like i have to keep going until i get to the next you know save spot cool well let's get into talking about some of the specifics of the of these handheld retro games so victor you mentioned the uh the good legal ways to play. So we should probably yeah. start with that. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. And, and again, you know, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's play when you get into, you know, retro games and emulators, you have to, to tread carefully because, um, you know, it's, it is a legal gray area, depending on who you ask for other people, it's, it's black and white. Um, I prefer to do things the legal way. If I want to make sure that if I can, you know, make sure the developers of the game, um, get the money somehow. Um, you know, it's it's maybe a little bit different if something is is out of print, has been out of print for you know twenty years, and is never coming back into print. Um, but some of the, there are two ways that I play retro games mostly nowadays, and this is just kind of where I've gravitated to. And the first is um, on my on the go, and the first is the Nintendo Switch. Um, and the Nintendo Switch, like any modern console, has a eShop where you can digitally purchase. Um, software and there's a number of of you know older arcade games on there uh that you can purchase uh you, you know um there's uh, compilations of you know Capcom or SNK arcade games that you can buy um there's also Nintendo has their own subscription service which is an annual uh subscription service and they have on offer there a number of NES uh SNES Nintendo 64 Sega Genesis 
games that you can play depending on which level of the sub- of subscription you purchase. And so that's a lot of fun. It's updated with network play. So you can play your, you know, four player um, Mario Kart 64, you know, with people who, who uh, you know, aren't, aren't in the room with you, which is, which is fun. So that's, that's one way um, uh, that I enjoy. And the, the other is I've mentioned this very early on in the, in the podcast. Um, so probably about a year or so ago uh, is the, uh, the Evercade and Evercade is um, a product uh, that is based out of the UK, I believe. And their, their um, kind of ethos has been to, you know, license retro games, whether it was for eight bit systems, 16 bit systems, arcade systems, compile a whole bunch of them onto a cartridge, sell the cartridge for $20 or so. Um, and then they make their own hardware, which was, um, you know, a handheld. And then they came out with like a console and then they have a new handheld, which just came out and it's very good. It's leaps and bounds above their, their first console. Then that's the Evercade EXP. And, um, you know, it connects to your TV. It has a really nice screen. Um, it has a whole bunch of, you know, Capcom arcade games built in. And then, you know, comes with another cartridge of, of arcade games and plays all of the other cartridges and i really like that because i really like collecting cartridges they all come in cool plastic clamshell boxes you know the cartridges have art they have manuals with uh you know instructions in them and it's a what i like about it is is that it is a curated experience um and they're not limited to just you know games that came out in the 80s or 90s they're releasing new compilations of indie games so these are games that people programmed for game boy recently you know or nintendo or or uh, the 16-bit consoles and they'll bundle those up um, and put them on a cartridge and you can kind of say, see, you know, you know what new games are like uh, on these old systems. And so I really like um, the new Evercade EXP uh, and it's a lot of fun and, uh, you know, completely legal and the developers to the extent that it's possible get uh, get get a little money at least. Cool. How about how about you, Jack? What, like, what is it that you, uh, you how you like to re- do retro gaming? Um, I primarily use uh, the Steam Deck, and there's this really good program called EmuDeck, which is an emulator for the Steam Deck, um, because the Steam Deck is basically just a Linux computer in a handheld format, so you can play Steam games on it, but it has a full desktop. Um, and if you just go to EmuDeck, you can download the installer. It installs all the different emulators for you. It's a really easy setup. It walks you through everything, and then you just put your ROMs in the ROM folder, and it even will go through and scan to make sure that their actual functional ROMs and everything is integrated the way it should be. And it gives you like a whole front end. You can navigate through all your games. Um, and that's, that's the primary way I play. Uh, I play like mostly uh, NES or SNES games on it. Um, but it's, it's quick and easy. Um, it's a lot easier even than like a couple of years ago when I was using some like the older Ambernick handhelds, you don't have to like compile the whole operating system and do all these different tricks to get it working. It's pretty much plug and play. Um, and the nice thing is because it's on a more powerful device, you can use different shaders that will basically change how, how the screen will look like if you want it to look more retro, it does things like, uh, pixel stretching. So you can get like widescreen, uh, NES games, which is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, that's, that's the primary way I do it. I also have a pow kitty, uh, I think it's called the v90 and it's essentially like a little linux here i'm showing it on the screen for the audio people it looks just like a nintendo or a game boy uh, advance sp and it's perfect for playing anything that's game boy or game boy color or game boy advance um and it's the same thing it's a linux based machine and it's you just put the roms on the card and it's ready to go 
Cool. Cool. Yeah. I love the fact that these, you know, these new, the switch, the steam deck, they, they can play these new, awesome, super graphic games. And yet you can also just load them up with all this, all the classics, all the retro stuff and, and go to town on it. I love the flexibility that they offer. Apple would never do this. Like this is not an Apple sort of thing <laughs> that you would do this. These, these sorts of companies are going to do that because well, Nintendo, cause they have the huge IP library of, of Nintendo mm-hmm. games and steam Deck because valve kind of has that, you know, Linux rebel ethos, I think behind them. So it's really kind of cool. It's funny, um, I got the Steam Deck and I was excited because I could finally play all these games that I own that I never had a computer powerful enough to. And 90% of what I play is either Vampire Survivors, which is a newer game, but it's a retro style uh, roguelike uh, RPG game or old Nintendo games. So I'm not even taking advantage <laughs> of like the full power of the machine. <laughs> That's funny. I, I, yeah. I have my eye on a steam deck and, and, and I, I kind of want to get it to play the new games because I'm a Mac guy. I can't play that stuff, but yet, you know, there's, you know, if I could find Castle Wolfenstein <laughs> to play oh, it on yeah, a steam deck, <laughs> I, would, I would totally spend a lot of time doing that. Yep. Uh, cool. Uh, what, what else, uh, Victor, what else do we got for? Yeah. For, so, so I have tried a number of, uh, you know, retro game machines and kind of decreasing order of, of legitimacy here. Um, one thing that you, you can do is, uh, you mentioned uh, having a Steam Deck, which is a Linux retro gaming machine. If you have an old laptop lying around, and this is, you know, anything uh, made within the last 10 years or so, uh, 10 or 12 years, you can uh, install a very light Linux operating system on it. Um, you know, you can either run it off a thumb drive or overwrite your Windows installation if you're not using your old Windows, you know, 98 or whatever anymore. Um, if you go to Laka TV, L-A-K-K-A dot TV, you'll get the uh, distribution there and you can turn your old laptop into a pretty, you know, capable retro gaming system. If you get a couple $10, you know, USB game pads, you can plug those in and play your classic arcade games. It's not exactly handheld, but it is, you know, on the go. Um, you know, set that up, uh, and 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 you know, it's it's fun for the for the kids. I'm a fan of the Retroid Pocket um, systems uh, made by Retroid. They're because they're they're cheaper than the Ambernix, um, and they're they're decently capable. They run Android, which is um, kind of cool because uh, if you already have Android emulators on your phone, um, you can you know just download them right from the the Google Play Store. Uh, you can also download and install RetroArch on it, and RetroArch is kind of this big environment for emulators where you can download lots of different emulators, and it's all through the same kind of front end, and it's very customizable. Pretty complex, but customizable. So those are fun systems. Um, one thing I haven't personally uh, tried, but um, some of the younger members of my household have, is is uh, homebrewing um, your Nintendo 3DS. So uh, I, many people have a Nintendo 3DS laying around. They're not coming out with new games for it. They're, they're turning off the eShop on it. So what are you going to do with your, uh, Nintendo 3DS? You can, um, you know, basically jailbreak it and, uh, install homebrew software on it, uh, so that you can play just about any game on it, you know, retro games, uh, it, a lot going on there. And then probably the, the super sketchy way is if you go on Amazon, there are a number of, uh, you know, 10 or $15, you know, retro game systems, 400 games on it. 
And um, I have one that I got for $9 and it's called the SUP, the SUP. <laughs> and it's basically. So what's up? It, yeah, what's up? <laughs> and uh, this is not to go on too much of a tangent, but there are these stores popping up where basically uh, merchandise that's returned to Amazon is then sold in bulk to these stores. And then they sell every item for $9 or, you know, re, you know, drastically reduce things. You kind of take your a gamble as to whether or not, you know, this thing was returned because it was broken or somebody just didn't like it. And so for $9, I got a retro game system that plays 400 NES games and it has, you know, Mario three on it, but it also has Mario 14 on it as well. (laughs) And if you're wondering what Mario 14 is, it's a animated Mario intro that then goes into a Chinese sword action <laughs> game. So I would not recommend buying a uh, ten or twenty dollar retro game system off Amazon because the four hundred games are going to be um, questionable legitimacy. There's there's you know even questionable content that gets snuck onto these things as well. I've heard so, um, but but it, it it can be fun just to see what's on them for you know nine dollars and um, it's a, yeah, yeah so just don't give it to your kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, always well, always preview it first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it defaults to being in Chinese, and so they're not really gonna read anything too bad on there. So oh, good, good. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so it's yeah, lots of lots of interesting ways to get into the hobby. Anything uh else we want to say? You actually one of the questions I want to have is is are there are there downsides or limitations we should be aware of? Um, I'd say the biggest downside, um and this is kind of something that you're com- we're coming out of now because the handheld market has really exploded. Like I saw that Asus just announced uh, basically a Steam Deck competitor, and I'm sure it's going to be crazy expensive. But there's a lot more legitimate handhelds that you can buy now. Like with even with things like Ambernick or Pow Kitty, like these are mass produced items made in a Chinese factory, and you can find them sold under like a bunch of different names. And they're getting to the point where they're they're pretty good, but it even up until recently, it was still kind of a crapshoot if you were going to get something that was good or something that was not functional at all. But um, it's it's a lot more safe to order one of these things off of Amazon than it used to be. So you're going to get decent hardware. Yeah. And that, I mean, the other big downside is, you know, the, the legality of of playing software that you do not own a license to play. And then, you know, finding that, which is Again, one of the reasons I like the Nintendo Switch or the Evercade is because you know that you're doing, you know, the 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 right thing. But I mean, right. that said, if I want to play a, uh, you know, an obscure arcade game from 1981 that nobody's ever heard of, you know, for research purposes, you know, there are other options. Uh, right. You know, for, for got, that as well. We've kind of danced around it, but you know, apart from Evercade and Nintendo Switch and you know, uh, whatever valve, where do the games, co- the games themselves, not the hardware, but the software come from? Is that kind of a gray, the gray area? I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know, Dom. I, okay. yeah. <laughs> I want to be clear because we're going to get the questions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. If you, I'll, all I will say is that if you were the kind of person who likes tinkering and getting into this kind of stuff and feels comfortable doing it, you will be able to acquire games but i'm not going to tell you how to do it on the podcast okay okay it's i I will say that if you do buy things off amazon the less reputable company companies will include a a a, you know sd card that may have you know roms on it um you know you can do the ethical thing and and fire it into the sun 
if you want to. <laughs> so, the, and the other thing too is, is if you find cartridges, original cartridges at yard sales or yeah. online, then you own the game. And then there's, you know, there's a gray area over whether that the license includes the ability to move it onto a different technological platform, but that is a gray area legally. So you, you, you it's not necessarily wrong. And, and when you buy into like a curated collection, like the Capcom um, stadium or whatever, they're, they're kind of um, they're their you know, thing that you can access through your uh, consoles, right. You know, eShop or something. You're getting a lot of extras too. You're, you're typically getting, you know, concept art, you know, sound test modes, um, challenges, achievements, and stuff, and it's just you know you you don't have to fiddle with things; it just works. And mm-hmm. I, I think for me too, it's just not spending twenty minutes trying to get a game to run before I can actually play it is a big part of the reason why I like these more curated, um, legitimate, shall we say, experiences. You just right, you, you get the game; it, it works. You can you, you can rewind. You can do save states. Um, you know, most everything has these modern conveniences now, and. Um, it's just a much better user experience in my in my opinion. So in general, for most people, the like the switch with the, you know, a Nintendo archive or the yeah. Evercade or Steam Deck, those are probably the best your best bet. If you're a hacker who likes to dig around in things, you'll you'll figure things out for yourself, you know, apart from that. But for most people, they'll they'll want to go one of these more legitimate routes shall we say right and the biggest downside with the steam deck is if you want to stay 100 percent legitimate with it is that you're not going to be able to play nintendo games but i know capcom and sega have a lot of collections of games like i think they have like the first like 10 sonic games for like 10 dollars on there and so a lot of other companies do have their retro games on the steam store already and they're set up and optimized and you're not going to be getting either a computer virus by accident or something that's just unplayable. Right. That's good. That's, I think it's a, I think that's a good way to, 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 to put that then. To, was there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, uh, Jack, you had a link for a video that you wanted to recommend. Yeah. So I, I think I recommended this probably years ago on the podcast, but uh, the eight big guy, he's a YouTuber who covers all sorts of retro technology, like the Commodore 64 and, Uh, different things like that. He made this YouTube series where he goes over how old school graphics worked on computers and he covers like the Commodore systems, uh, the Atari and Nintendo. And it was really fascinating to watch to see all the different tricks that the developers had to do back in the day because of the limitations of the system, like manipulating sprites, uh, changing the poke registries on the memory to get all these different things working on these games. And for me, that's a lot of the attraction of retro games is that how creative they had to be to even to get these things work. Like nowadays you can download unity and with YouTube tutorials, you can make something that looks pretty awesome and that's impressive. But I just like the, like the tinkering mindset that these developers had to do and the creativity that went into it. It was a Netflix series a a while back about like the early days of, of computer games. Uh, You just reminded me of that. And I I don't, I don't have the, you know, at, at hand, but that was a very interesting and a lot of fun to see, you know, they talked to the original Nintendo guys and the, the Lord British, one of the original, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, RPG guys. So yeah, that, that I would seek that sort of stuff out too. the, the history of the stuff. It is fascinating. These pioneers, how they had to make it work. Uh, you know, yeah. Just, how about you, yeah. Victor? Yeah. And if you do have kids who are interested in retro games, um, congratulations, you're, you're raising them right. 
but there's a YouTube channel that we've been watching uh, quite a bit recently, the gaming historian. And he basically does, you know, 20, 30 minute, um, you know, not super technical, but just, you know, how did Super Mario World get developed? You know, what, you know, how, how did the, the developers at Nintendo arrive on, you know, creating Yoshi? How did they you know, arrive on the look for the sprites and that sort of thing? And so they're very, very pleasant uh, mini documentaries that you can watch, um, you know, as a family and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's very enjoyable. The uh, the Netflix series I was trying to remember was called High Score. There's one or two episodes that were. There was one episode that covered, I think, Leisure Suit Larry's that I w- is not family friendly. Uh, just put it that way. Yeah. Um, but uh, th- there were several other episodes that were really good. So just pre-screen it before you watch it with your kids. Put it that Al way. Al Jaffe, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and then if you know, Al people, Jaffe, who was that? There's a, uh, Victor, you had another recommendation for another YouTube channel just to, to kind of wrap oh, things up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't Al Jaffe. I was thinking of someone, someone else. Um, uh, but yes, the, yeah. And, and, uh, Jack mentioned this as well. Retro Game Corps or Core. Um, but it, you know, Retro Game Core is a very good YouTube channel. If you're interested in, you know, what's this, you know, handheld device that I found on Amazon or AliExpress or, Banggood, you know, what, what is it any good? If you watch his videos, he's usually uh, delivers pretty honest reviews on, on these handhelds. Uh, so he also has a lot of resources for guides and how to set up different things. Like he has a resource for, uh, for the steam deck and how to set up emu deck and he just walks you through everything. So yeah, I definitely recommend that one too. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, folks, if you have any additional questions or uh, or feedback on this particular topic, we'd love to get it from you. We'll, we'll bring it up again in a future episode. Uh, you can send your feedback to technology at sqpn.com or come join us on our Discord server where we have great conversations with folks. And that's at sqpn.com slash Discord. So before we move on, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Rhea B, James D, Daryl F, and Frank L. Their generous tax-deductible donations, mind you, uh, given that April 18th is on its way, uh, are uh, their, their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And just to make it explicit, uh, sqpn is a 501c3 nonprofit, so uh, all your... All your gifts are uh, donations. So uh, let's move on to talk about some headlines. And this is a headline that's kind of related to our feedback today. The headline itself is a popular Instagram, quote unquote, photographer admits his, quote unquote, portraits are generated by AI. This actually is kind of a little similar to last week's story about the Pope in the puffy jacket, uh, AI generated <laughs> image. Um so this guy has got this Instagram account that has been popular at the time of this article uh, that Ars Technica did. He had over 26,000 followers and it was full of all these amazing black and white portraits and photography. And it turns out that all of these images were generated using the Midjourney AI art generator. And then there was there's a lot of question about, you know, is this deceptive? Is it fake? Is it real art? Is it not? Although, you know, I, I, I want to talk about it because it, it, when you dig down in the article, in order to generate these images, he doesn't just like put a prompt into mid journey and then put, slap that thing on Instagram. 
it's for every image he eventually gets to Instagram. There's like 32 or 40 different images that he photoshops together. So what do you think? I mean, is this deception? Is this art? Is what he's doing bad? Or is he really got a vital, you know, just a using it as a tool, like a paintbrush to create original art? What do you guys think? I think in the words of the great ambassador, uh, Romulan ambassador, Freenak, it's a fake. <laughs> Call back to my Deep Space Nine. Yeah. You no, know, I'm just shocked that anybody on Instagram would portray something that wasn't completely 100% authentic. I mean, <laughs> we've been heading down this road for so long where take a photo and then it gets airbrushed, you know, Photoshop. Photoshop itself has AI, you know, things in it now to detect, you know, blemishes and remove them. You, any portrait of, of anybody, unless you took it yourself, I mean, has been touched up so this is just coming at it from the other other side instead of you know real people with fake you know processing now we have fake people with you know real processing so it is what it is i mean yeah my my opinion is that he should have been more upfront about yes. his process but he is doing more work than 99 percent of the other influencers on instagram because he's actually taking the time to like create artistic prompts like it's hard to get good images out of AI still like you have to oh, yeah. work on your prompts to get them to where you want them and then putting in the time to photoshop it like my only issue is that he kind of fudged it and made it seem like he was just taking these pictures yeah but other than that i think it's pretty cool it's they're cool looking pictures so yeah 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 well, the uh speaking of the prompt i was reading about prompt engineers are it's an are a new thing where these companies are hiring people to write prompts for use with these AIs and they're paying them six figures and and they're hiring English majors and philosophy majors out of college yeah. and I'm like this is like the first time an English major made six figures out of college in ever <laughs> uh, for about three months until they train the AI how to write the prompts you know it's, <laughs> right. it's it's not it's not sustainable. <laughs> I've actually been doing that. Um, there's a, a AI art app that I like to use called Starry AI. Um, and I've been experimenting with it. Uh, it gets really good pictures. So it's fun to write like very descriptive literary prompts and sees what it gives you. But I've also been doing this thing where I'll put in like junk data into it to see what it gives me. And it seems that the default for it, if you don't put in like anything that it can really take is like a young Asian woman in her like in a city in like a jean jacket like if you just put in like random stuff that is what it will give you it's almost like the base default that it starts with and then goes from there to create whatever the image is that kind of it was the developer's fiance how she looked the night <laughs> she died and now it's like the, the soul she, of yeah, the AI yeah, dropped yeah. in there um but I've all I've also been asking chat GPT for prompts to put into the AI thing and then seeing what it gives me. And that's been, that's been fun just to kind of go back and forth with those two. Oh, wow. That would be useful. I've been asking chat GPT to give me ASCII art of different things. <laughs> like you say, draw an ASCII art of a fish. And then it gives you this like really weird thing. <laughs> I've actually, I've been asking to give me like SEO, like uh, meta description summaries of things, you know, for, for, you know, podcasts and stuff, uh, which is really useful. As far as this guy goes, like this, you know, 
it's how different is what he's doing where he's combining a bunch of AI art from what your phone is already doing, which is computational photography, com- taking raw data and building an image out of it. You know, I mean, this there's a similar it's, it, it's not the same thing, I, I know, but it's not also completely unconnected. And that's kind of an interesting I agree with you, Jack. It's the fact that he didn't he, he didn't he wasn't upfront about what he was doing. That's the problem. Not so much that he was doing it. Uh, Speaking of computational photography, uh, I have a Google Pixel and it does a lot of that computational photography. And usually it's really good. But the other day I took a picture of a squirrel and it really glitched out. And the squirrel looks like it's made out of like watercolor brushes. I'll (laughs) post it in the Secrets of Tech Discord. uh, So if anyone wants to see a thing, go over there. But (laughs) it was interesting to see the machine like break on a real photo. Wow, that is wild. Yeah, I'm curious that make watercolors. Interesting. All right. So our next headline is uh, this is me being aspirational. This uh, this the headline is the Lightship L1 is a caravan, which is British for camping trailer built for EVs that can also power your home. So this is a very expensive rich person's toy at this point that uh, is a self-propelled camping trailer that comes with a giant battery in it that you know, you can take camping. So it's uh it sleeps up to six. It costs over a hundred grand. Well, uh, they say well over a hundred. I think it, the, yeah, it's, it's going to cost way more than a hundred. It's like one fifty. Although it comes out, well, it's going to cut. Yeah. To be fair, the, some of the big RVs are, this is within that range. So that's, that's not, you know, oh, big RVs are in the hundreds of like million dollars. Right. Yeah. Range. They yeah. can't, they can get up there. Yeah. My brother's got a big, one of those big, bus rv things and it yeah it's something else he's a truck driver uh so so the lightship l1 it's a trailer it's like a pop-up trailer so it's six feet tall six foot nine i think they said when it's down it can pop up to 10 feet it has it's it's 20 something feet long and it's full of batteries and it in certain configurations it can charge the electric vehicle pulling it or it could also it also has its own motors in its wheel so it can take some of the load off of the vehicle pulling it whether it's a internal combustion engine vehicle or not um, you can even park it in your driveway and power your house from it. It, it and they said that the battery will last for up to a week in the wilderness without having to be parsimonious about usage like you know for using the various appliances and conveniences in it and uh, in fact and then you can also get it with solar panels on top so you can keep charging it it's kind of wild to to look at i mean it this is impractical frankly i mean it's all glass and it's not like it's not like the sort of camper you see at your regular state park campground this is high-end fancy but what do you think i mean is this where we're going i i kind of like the idea i like the idea yeah it's it's really cool but i've got to be honest i don't like the like completely smooth like low poly look of electric vehicles like i want an electric truck that looks like an old like ford truck from the 50s that'd be awesome <laughs> I, I agree i mean yeah there's a lot of that i i am less enamored of the cyber truck than some people are uh, I, I, like that's a similar thing yeah. Um, yeah that is definitely a low poly vehicle i like that the description um yeah i mean if this looked like an airstream for you know a classic yeah. airstream 
I would, I, I would, you know, totally be for, for all for it. Um, but I, I like the idea that, I mean, when my family camps were tent campers, we, I, I, I work for a Catholic nonprofit. I can't afford a camper. Uh, so we go, we go tent camping, but, um, but when I was a kid, we had a trailer, a camping trailer, and we we did this sort of camping. And yeah, I love the idea of having this this you know this extending the whole electric vehicle idea to an auxiliary vehicle that helps power the primary vehicle. You know what I mean? Like it it they work together, and I, I like that idea that they they work together to accomplish the goal. Um, and, and it kind of compensates for some of the shortcomings currently that electric vehicles have, like range. Uh, it can add a lot of range. So I, I kind of like this idea. I think this would be great if you were like either single or empty nesters, get this in a Tesla, and then just be a nomad. Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome. That's a great idea. Yeah, you get that sort of retiree that just, just drives around. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like I like the idea. I, I like that you could just set it up with the you know with the solar panels and someplace sunny and you know keep it away from the campfire. I guess would be my only uh, <laughs> recommendation there. But I, I like the idea. I like the the, the concept of it. Um, you, you know, it, it. We'll see where it goes with this. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that this particular one is, I mean, they could be a Tesla, you know what I mean, where the, they, they've come in and disrupted everything and they've become a leader. I think it's, you know, a leader, not the leader, but, you know, they they become a big enough force that they're here to stay. I think it's likely that they came and prove the concept and then Winnebago and the Airstream actually make the practical one that everybody uses. I think it's just as likely. At which point it will cost five or six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, our last headline is one. This is a bit of a cautionary tale. Uh, zombie newspaper sites rise from the grave. We should, this you should have hilarious. had this in October. So what happens when when a local newspaper, a small community newspaper, goes under? Which a lot of them do, and they cease to exist. They stop publishing. Their domains, it turns out, are being snapped up by these. Troll link farms, SEO farms, basically, uh, usually entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs somewhere in uh, Eastern Europe, often or in Asia sometimes or in South America, um, who snap them up and turn them into these link bait sites where they're, they have um, fake news articles or just generic articles that are designed to basically get people click on the links from Google from a Google search and then show them ads. It's that's what it is. It's it's ad bait, right? Um, and what you get is these the it's they're existing off of the reputation of these small newspapers that used to exist and had a connection in a small town, and now they're kind of living off of that. I I have to admit, I've seen people sharing stupid <laughs> fake articles from these things as if they were real because it's a real newspaper. Not anymore. What do you guys think? I think this explains why the Google News Feed on the Android phones is such garbage because my feed is full of stuff like this. And it's, it'll be like the Minneapolis Star Herald and there'll be some article about something <laughs> totally random. Like, why am I getting this? I don't Try these crazy uses for olive oil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Or the one they like, uh, yeah. 10 most popular Bitcoin casino games. Ooh, let me open that one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, 
It it's an issue, and I mean, is there something anything we can do about it, or is it just be aware? I think this ties back to our feedback. Uh, yeah, the listener feedback at the beginning of the show. It's don't believe what you see online, and really, at this point, if you're not using like a very curated ner- uh, news feed where you're just getting information that you know is from a reputable source then you're going to get bombarded with all sorts of clickbait you know one thing i worry about is personal websites like i have a personal website i've had it for 20 years now and someday i'm not gonna i won't be around to my kids aren't going to want to pay whatever the ridiculous hosting fees i'm paying to keep it archive the archive going every every year what's going to happen to that site will someone snap it up and you know, without barely changing anything, keeping my header on it and my name on it and start shoveling, you know, dangerous clickbait under my name. It's a scary proposition. I don't know. I kind of want to hear your opinion on putting onions in your socks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, I have a blog post on that. Uh, I'll I'll get to the link. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the the credibility of, of online news sites and just our news media in general was, was in question long before, these, you know, rogue entrepreneurs came along. If they're hastening people's, you know, mistrust in, in the media, I might say like more power to them right, um, right. at this point. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so no, I mean, these people have found a way to, to you know, they're not doing anything illegal. Um, I don't think so. They're just buying old domains and, and putting their own websites on it. So, you know, just, you know, buyer beware. And yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if if you, you know, everybody has the news sites they, they like and that they trust. And, you know, maybe they're, maybe they reflect reality 50%, you know? So what, what, what gets me is these, the bigger news sites, because a lot of times the bigger uh, news media will mine smaller news media for stories. And when they pass some of this stuff along, especially across language and cultural barriers. So like you'll sometimes there was a story uh, I saw once where it was this this news site in India was repeating a story from a Boston newspaper, which didn't exist, about this Catholic priest who was uh, claiming that he had a vision and, and saw that God was a woman. And it was like. And I worked for the Archdiocese of Boston. I know how to, you know, who who the priest, this priest didn't exist. That parish didn't exist. You know, the newspaper didn't exist. But yet this, you know, this site had passed it on. And that, then that was being passed around as legitimate news. And that's the, that's what it like is scary to me is like, if something like the New York Times or the LA Times or, you know, the whatever picks this stuff up and passes it along, they've the, so the media have got to be doing a better job of vetting their stories too. Yeah. I mean, it's the media's confirmation bias at a certain point, right? They, they, they would, yes. they wouldn't pass along something that didn't already meet their, their biases or their, their worldview. So, you know, it's probably just as accurate as anything else that, that they would report, you know, right. at that point. So, Yeah. Buyer beware, you know, get, if you, you know, must get your news online, get it from a, you know, variety of sources to, you know, kind of triangulate, you know, as best you can, what the actual story might be. Yep. Yep. I was going to say I'm a millennial, so I just get my news from Reddit. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Uh, Very reliable. Uh, All right. So let's move on to our picks of the week. Uh, Jack, you're up first. What's your pick this week? My pick of the week uh, touches on the retro theme uh, that we were going on. It's the uh, 
JSO, I think it's JSO, maybe JSOX, uh, transparent backplate for the Steam Deck. Um, and it kind of goes uh, with what you're saying about Valve's kind of open source attitude towards things. It's a, it's a backplate for the Steam Deck that comes in all sorts of fun colors. And I got the atomic purple, of course, because that is the pinnacle yeah. of translucent uh, electronic design. <laughs> um, and it's really easy to install if you're at all okay with opening up your electronics. It took me like five minutes. You just unscrew the back, put the new one on, and it's good to go. And it doesn't add any sort of practical functionality at all to the device, but now you can see the internals and it looks cool. So it's only $30 on Amazon and it's a fun project if you want to customize your Steam Deck because they only come in black by default. So uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of back of the old IMAX where you could see, you know, the, the translucent colored shell yeah. through the back. That's fun. <laughs> I wish they made phones with the like iPhones, which you could see the interior like to get to get the translucent. That would be nice. Anyway. That would be a hit, I think. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of us would buy them. Uh, so cool. Uh, Victor, what's your pick this week? Yeah, also keeping with the theme um, and just making me realize how, how old I am. One of my favorite games that I played, and it didn't seem that long ago, was was Metroid Prime on the uh, GameCube and then later released on the on the Wii. And it's, uh, you know, the Metroid, the classic Nintendo game where you play Bounty Hunter, Samus, Aaron, and you fight these little uh, aliens called Metroids and Space Pirates. But what they did for the GameCube is they made it a first-person kind of exploration game, and it was really revolutionary and groundbreaking at the time. And um, Nintendo has just re-released it as uh, Metroid Prime Remastered for the Nintendo Switch, and they've updated the graphics, kept the you know game the, exactly the same, but updated the graphics, um, modernized the controls so it's a little bit more accessible and easy to play. And I've just been even though I haven't played the game in 20 years, going back in and just revisiting all these locations. And it's just amazing the way memory works. You're like, Oh yeah, there was a secret behind this particular wall right here. Let's see if I can, can get that. But it's also kind of a wake up call for me that, um, you know, that the, these games are now, are now retro that I uh, enjoyed. It didn't <laughs> seem like that long ago, but, but yeah, 20 years have, uh, have gone by, but it's, wow. it's, it's, it's very fun to, if you played the original and want to dive back in, it's, it's, way more enjoyable with the updated controls. Uh, and that's another thing too, is, you know, I've tried to play it in emulators over the years and I've been very frustrated with the controls, the lag, you know, graphics glitches, just having an official version. I can just plug into my switch and pick up and play whenever I want to has, has been really nice. So my pick this week is uh, this really cool, yet another product from anchor, which is make, makes these great uh, bits of hardware. Um, and they make a lot of different chargers and battery packs. And this one is kind of both. It's a hybrid. It's the anchor seven, three, three power bank. And it's a, a gallium arsenide uh, a battery pack. So you can, it has two USB C ports and a USB a port and you can plug things in. It, it'll do high speed charging. It's a 30 watt, I'm sorry, a 65 watt charger, but it also does 30 watt um, USB C. And what it does is, so it's a power bank, but it also has pl uh, plug prongs on it. So you can plug it directly into the wall. Now you can do that to charge it, of course, but it, you, you can plug it into the wall and then plug, say, your laptop into it and power the laptop from it like you would with the pack that came with the computer. So it kind of replaces that. So the, the benefit here is, is you've got a big 10,000 milliamp hour power bank with three, you can charge up to three things in it and you can charge uh, high speed. And it also replaces 
the charger that came with your computer so that you don't have to carry that around too. And so it's, it'll do 65 watt. It's not a hundred watt charger. I like that kind of, I wish kind of wish it would had a hundred watt just for that extra bit. Um, but it, it's a, it'll do 65, which is enough to, you know, to uh, power up, you know, charge up a MacBook while using it, which is sufficient. So it's kind of like the light ship except for your uh, MacBook. Yeah. There you go. It'll charge, your, <laughs> it'll charge the uh, primary. Yeah. And if you are upset about no 100 watt version, you can take that up with anchor management. Yes. Let them know. Yeah. They, they may make one. <laughs> so, and this is a hundred bucks, this one, the uh, 733. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's been really good. I've been using it for about five, four or five months now. And it's, uh, I take it with me wherever I go, whether I'm just taking my iPad or uh, my, my, my laptop. It's been really great. And it's allowed on flights, they say on the fax. So yes, there you go. yes. Yeah, pretty much. I would expect that most battery packs these days, they're going to, they got to design them so they can be taken on airplanes. I mean, you just, you, you couldn't sell one and say, oh, but don't take it on a plane. <laughs> that would be disastrous. Oh, man. All right. So that does it for our picks of the week. And I'll do it for our show. Uh, we'd love to hear what you thought of anything we discussed today. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the StarQuest Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. Send an email to technology at sqpn.com. Visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You'll find links from everything we discussed today and our picks of the week on our show notes at starquest.fm slash tec206, tech206. Follow the Secrets of Tech in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at the StarQuest YouTube channel, where you should also make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. Until next time, Jack Barazzini, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Technology. Thanks, Dom. Victor Lambs, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>